Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I am Brad. AKA Brad. I had to say it for you that time. I, I you I, didn't do the AKA Anthony this time, so I wasn't sure if we were still going by our, you know, AKA names or our usernames. I don't know, man. I uh I, I sometimes forget sometimes. Sometimes I go, you know what, I'm gonna go by Black Cinephile. But then I forget that um you know, Black Cinephile is like my, I guess my Spider-Man name. Right. I don't yeah. know how to call it. And, you know, so I, I, I switch it up sometimes. I like to, I, I like BC, but BC sounds too much like before Christ. And it, it's, <laughs> today is the day I go to church, so it kind of screws me up. I'm like, no, no, Black Black Cinephile is better. Um, but I don't know. We, we'll, we'll work it out as we go along. Oh, yeah. Uh, we always do. We, we do it on the air. You know, we do it live. No problems. Do it live. Let's do it live. Let's do it live. <laughs> um, yeah, man. So today is uh, today is an interesting one. We didn't ex- when we when we set this one up, we didn't expect it to be as uh, resonant uh, to today's times as it was. But um, quick rest in peace to a terrific actor, uh, James Caan. Um, the topic we're doing today is uh, director's first features. We've done this once before, back when we were just audio. Um, but today we're doing Steven Sodenberg versus Michael Mann. And uh, it just so happens that Michael Mann's uh, first directorial feature was Thief, a film that had James Caan in this leading role. Yes. And, uh, you know, so as I say, half of this is kind of like a dedication to Caan. Yeah, it it was completely unintentional. We actually had this one planned months ago, I want to say, for an episode. Uh, Because typically we kind of throw out these uh first features and stuff like that that are like an easy grab for weeks that we don't have anything like topical to do and yeah, fun yeah and this one ended up being accidentally topical <laughs> yeah i, I want to say accidentally tragically topical yeah uh because you know you don't walk into these saying like you know i got a feeling this is going to be topical so let's just put this here. Right. This was yeah. supposed to be one of those fun ones where we're like, yeah, we're going to talk about two directorial debuts. This is a big deal. This is a cool episode. And then right. you texted me. You were like, oh, no. And I was like, what? And you went, James Caan died. I was like, he's the guy from the movie we're watching. <laughs> hey, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was. um. It, it was pretty sad, you know, so dedication to him. I mean, I'm sure as we talk about Thief, we can go into like other roles he's been in that that are very influential. Of course, there's Sonny from The Godfather. Um, there's uh, a guy I think we both know. I think his name is August. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> he posted something uh, on a, on a social media where he's like, uh, I talked to one of my coworkers and uh, I was like, Sonny from The Godfather died. And he was like, and then, and then the younger person he talked to looked up the name and said, oh, oh, that's my man from Elf. Yeah, the grandfather by, from Elf. And he was just like, like, really? That's what you remember him for? But, you know, it's just different generations. That's right. all. I mean, honestly, when it comes to a Godfather is the first thing that comes to mind. And then I don't even know if there's a second thing that really comes to mind for him right away from me. It's just mm-hmm. immediately. Oh, yeah godfather mm-hmm. yeah um yeah because that was a very influential role oh yeah but um so basically today we got steven we got steven sodenberg's sex lies and videotape versus uh 
Michael Mann's Thief. So I don't know, man. You know, I, these are both 80s, but I think it might be best to go chronological. Um, You know what? I think we'll go chronological because that puts Thief first, correct? Right. Yeah, I, I think it just makes more sense that we should do Thief first on this one. Yeah, it's just it's just science, as Will Ferrell once said. <laughs> it's, it's just science. It makes sense. Um, all right, man. So I'll let I, you take you want, the reins on this one. You want me to take the reins on this one? Oh, yeah. Right. I especially want to take the reins on the next one. That's why I'll let you do this one. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So Thief, man, we got Michael Mann's first film here. 1981, you know, beginning of the 80s. And basically we have um, James Conn in the main role as a man who uh, is, as the title suggests, he's a thief by night. Um, he's a professional safe cracker by day. He runs a uh, dealership. I believe he runs a bar also. Yeah, he has a bar. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's uh, he's low key. He doesn't like to bring a lot of attention to himself. He, he dresses nice and he drives nice cars, but... He makes it seem as if like he's very well blessed and well financed in his um in his car salesman role in his uh, uh, diversified businessman role, you know. As he um as he's dating this new woman, you know he I love how he has this monologue with her in like uh I want to say near the, near the middle of the film where he starts to get serious with her. He says like, "Listen, I wear different expensive suits every day." I wear I, I drive flashy cars. You really think I'm just a salesman? She goes, yeah. she goes, Yeah, you sell nice cars. I'm a thief. Like, you know. <laughs> like he sounds angry that she doesn't think more of him because she's like, Oh yeah, you, you just sell nice cars. So you would drive a nice car. What's what's the big deal? And he's like, No, that's not all I am. I love how the scene is so unintentionally funny because cause he he's so angry. Yeah. He's like, You really think I just made a lot of money off cars? I mean, the other one that is great for him, like getting angry is when he's going to uh, the adoption agency and Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, we can't we can't let you adopt somebody. I will take literally anyone. These kids could literally have anything they want with me and you want to restrict them from that. I will take whatever you give me. Do you have one that barely can survive right now? One missing limbs? I'll take it. Just give me something. I'll take any undesirable. He said, what, you right. got a black Und- kid you don't want to keep? Yeah. I'll take them. You know, because I, um, and this speaks well to his character. Like, uh, I, I like how that no matter what, he wants to go for the perfect American dream life of, you know, the wife and kid, the house, and try to live legit, do one more job and try to live legit. But what he doesn't realize is he he he's he's chasing this so much, he doesn't realize it's not going to change anything. You know, it's really right. just a facade for him to believe in. Right. He's expecting um, that this is going to bring him happiness and everything because he's kind of just floating through life doing what he's doing. He no longer gets joy out of being a thief. He no longer gets the thrill out of the runs anymore. So he kind of starts thinking that he should end it and everything like that. Like it's there's nothing more to it anymore. So uh, just to wrap up the brief synopsis where we go really in depth with this film, he uh, comes across a man uh, after there is a. Uh, a mishap gone wrong where his money goes missing on another person who, uh, you know, mysteriously jumps off the building. He meets the man responsible behind many big hits in the city 
of Chicago, pretty much, or, you know, around Chicago, around what's going around his 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 location. And uh, the guy offers him a job like, listen, man, you still for me, I'll, I'll take you next level. I'll get you getting more than six figures. I'll, I'll take you to where you need to be. He says, I'm not in this for the money. You know, I don't want a lot of heat on me. I'd rather just do my job and go home. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You just do two jobs for me. And that's it. Just these big two jobs. I know you're the guy for the job and you're done. So, you know, Frank, uh, you know, just thinking about it goes, okay, fine. Uh, no, does he know he's signing his deal with the devil, which gets interesting as the film goes on. But that's a brief synopsis of what this film is about. It's about a guy who steals, but he doesn't steal for the thrill. He steals to survive. And now he just wants to lay low. Like you, it's very rare that you get these films where these guys aren't just chasing something, you know, um, he's literally just trying to survive at this point. There's no thrill in it. He, there's no like hunt. There's no, Oh, we're going to do the big job. It's, I I just want to get by and I want to get out and I want to have a family. I want to live the American dream. That's it. This in conjunction with the cinematography, the character development is what set Michael Mann apart from other crime directors. Oh yeah. You know, when, when you look at heat, collateral miami vice you have these characters who are in these archetypal roles of cop robber hitman but they're different from the they're different from the typical uh characters you see in these roles you know tom cruise and collateral he's a hitman but he's a hitman that doesn't have a soul that doesn't know what it's like to have a conscience you know uh de niro and heat he's he's a thief I mean, he's a robber, but he's a robber that, again, kind of like Vincent, he, he wants to know what it's like to have a soul. Uh, uh, Pacino is a detective who's a little wary of the game, and he wants to he wants to know what it feels like to have kind of like a thrill and kind of like not have to worry, not to be so addicted to your job uh, where you, you're on your third marriage. Like it, there's a there are these very complex characters in these not so in these not so complex um crime archetypes like so i like how subversive michael mann has been from the beginning with this movie but uh your first time seeing this man uh yeah this was my first time seeing this movie and it's it definitely keeps going in uh directions that you're not expecting which i kind of like so you start off with him kind of pulling off these small time heists and everything like that then you find out like his buddy has been skimming off the top from the person that they've been selling to so he gets killed then we're introduced to leo who is like the big kind of you know boss around for all the crime and everything like that in the area he starts working for him a little bit uh you have you know the cops following him uh, he's very smart about it, too, because as soon as the cops start like following him, he finds all the bugs that they have on him. He finds everything that they're using to try and like track him down, and he completely evades them like it's nothing. It's it's secondhand nature to him at this point. Right. And I love how the cops are even, you know, bust him down. They're just like, you work for us now. And he's like, nope. And he just completely <laughs> escapes from them. But if- they try to be his friend at first. They're like, hey, you know, we're trying to ease you into this. It's it's second. It should be second nature for you to pay us off. That way you can keep doing what you're doing. He's like, I'll pay. The thing about Frank that makes him so stubborn but so great is that he he runs to the beat of his own drum. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can also be his flaw, but it's like his biggest strength. Like, I don't work for anybody. I'm, I'm just doing what I can do to survive. 
just leave me alone. It's funny how how a thief is saying to the cops, "Just leave me alone." Right? Like, yeah. You're, you're a thief. They're gonna follow you. Like, and you're and you're working with the biggest crime boss in in the city that everybody wants. Like, you can't just be left alone. It's not that simple. Yeah, you have a target um, on your back, like this, and there, there's nothing you can do to get rid of that. Right. Um, this is my second time seeing this film. And the first time I saw it, I liked it. Uh, but this film, it had I, I caught a bit more depth this time around when I watched it. Like, I love, dude, I like how Michael Mann tells, he's very telling of his characters through lighting. Like, mm-hmm. I like when Frank and Leo first meet uh, by the water. A lot, a lot of things you see in Michael Mann films is that big decisions are made in front of bodies of water. Like, you, you notice that in his movies. I like how when these two men are, are meeting and you got the reverse shot behind Frank, uh, you see a lot of vibrant lights of the city. So there's there's a little bit of optimism behind Frank as he's talking with Leo and Leo's giving him a job. Behind right. Leo, it's like almost nothing but darkness. Like, with like, like one small light. So you know this guy... You're making a deal with the devil, so to speak. And Leo's like, listen, whatever you want, I'll give you what you need. You know, um, <laughs> you can almost hear the Rolling Stones a little bit in the background. You know, that Sympathy for the Devil <laughs> song. <laughs> you know, um, he, he's a very charismatic guy. Cut to later on after Frank is working for him. You know, he realizes his house is bugged. The the Like you said, he, he realizes that uh, the police left a lot of uh, trackers on his car um, the guy in the courtroom from the DMV is like, hey, my wife wants a fur coat. And the guy looks at him like, I'm a car salesman. You know, <laughs> like, what are you, what are you asking me for? But you, then you realize he, his name is gaining more attention than he wants. Yeah. And he's um he's in the bar talking to uh, Leo. And at this time, Frank is in a, is in an uncertain point. So now you got the reverse shot. While, while they're in the bar, there's a shadow over Frank now. And there's a big light behind Leo, meaning that the cards are in Leo's hands, where Leo has Frank where he wants him. Like, oh, I heard you want to adopt a kid. Like, I, I heard you wanted to adopt a kid, right? And, if, you know, Frank is like, where'd you hear that? He says, you know, I got friends. Like, uh, what kind of kid you want? I'll get you one right now. It's, it's, a, it's a perfect power. It's a perfect uh, point where the power dynamics and I, I just loved it like from a filmmaker's point of view it should also be noted that he did take the black market kid <laughs> from leo right so he has a kid that's you know he bought from leo more or less off of the black market yeah because he's like he's like listen man guy like you you're never gonna get a legit kid but i can get you a kid that's no yeah. problem you know <laughs> you want a, a kid of- i can get you a kid i know a guy <laughs> What you want? He says, he says, what you want? Black, yellow, white? You know what you want? Yeah. And uh, I like how he says, uh, and it's it's so it's so cruel, but it's it's reality. He says, listen, man, there's a lot of horrible parents out there. They don't they don't care about their kids. They're willing to give one up um, at no point. And I like how, you know, Frank kind of goes like, you could you could really get me a kid. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. And like he he, he kind of hugs him at the point, you know, because Frank is a passionate guy. He, he's like. He's like, oh, man, you give me a kid. And he's hugging him. And I'm like, man, you just don't know what you just signed over. Like, you know, and it's uh, it, it just um, we'll get to the showdown part. But uh, yeah, man, I, I love the, the, the color and lighting in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, one thing that I especially loved in this movie was the heist was 
timed out very well. Like the pacing yeah. on it was very well done and it didn't just it wasn't flashy at all either. It was a very like nonchalant thing. Like it starts off with the people on the roof that kind of are breaking into uh the phone line boxes. And they're kind of just testing each of the lines to see if they can find like which one's the phone frequency, the radio frequency, so they can cut through it in order to disarm or to cut off the alarm before it can reach outside of the building. That way, when they do the wiretap with the, what was it, the walkie-talkie? That mm-hmm. because that was the only way that they could like tell, you know, the police, you know, false alarm. We set it off on purpose walking in, you know, no big deal. And it was what going to Mexico or something like that was the code word that they had to say over the walkie talkie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a very well paced sequence. It, one thing you know about Michael Mann makes him comparable to David Fincher. He researches his topics. Yeah. Like he, he he approaches his films, Heat, Miami Vice, Collateral, with details behind the process of what these people do, you know. Um, so I'm sure he did his research on like how thieves steal. And it is well timed out. And if you're not paying attention, it, it can kind of feel like, you know, like it takes forever on it, but it takes forever on it, you know, with with a well pacing because it's taking you through the steps of what he does, how he does what he does. Right. It does like sit on it for a minute, like when he's testing the different wires and everything like that. And he's just kind of going through them and everything. But it also kind of feels a little tense because, you know, they're about to rob a bank of its like safety deposit boxes because they're going in to grab the uncut diamonds that are in there so they're going in for this huge robbery and they're taking their time making sure that they're getting everything precise uh it it very much reminds me of uh, edgar wright's like writing style where he'll turn the most mundane things into like action sequences where this Mm -hmm. one is just you know them fiddling with wires and just okay did i get something no did i get something no oh you got something okay here's the wire for that one okay now let's try and find this one and then they go in and then you they have the slow sequence of them burning through the gate and you just have that small red line that's burning through or not the gate the safe Mm-hmm. And you have the I love that picture from uh, the inside of the safe is like the, uh, you know, they're busting through it with uh, the sparks and everything coming at the camera. I'd- I I like I like that. And I also like how when it's all said and done, you know, Frank just takes a, a long smoke. Like he just did like a great nine, like just a great day of nine to five. Oh, like yeah. <laughs> He's so like 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 uh, uh centered and pleased with, with his work, and we're pleased with his work. Like man, you know, nice job. You know, the the Tangerine Dream music score comes to a crescendo a little bit. You know, like a a falling crescendo, and it's like uh, it's like he he achieved it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because um, this was gonna be his final job too. He was gonna get his big payout from this one. And this was going to be it. After this, he was going to walk away. He was going to go back to his girl, his baby, and they were going to go off and live the American dream. He could walk away from this thieving life that he's kind of been living. For sure. I love how Frank, um, I I love James Conn's acting in this because I really love his reactions to things, Uh, whether it be poignant, hilarious, or, you know, both kind of the uh, kind of, kind of both. Like I love his uh, his his lines in certain scenes. Like there's a time where 
you know, he takes his girl out because um, he, 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 he arrives late. You know, he takes Jesse and he, he's a little angry. And he says, like, listen, let's just go have a talk about what I am. So mm-hmm. they go to a they go to a diner and uh, there's some coffee and she's trying to pour some cream. And he's like, hey, can we get some other cream over here? What's wrong with the cream? What's wrong with it? It's cottage cheese. You know, like, like you know, he, uh, he's talking talking to the waitress. And um, there, there's I, there's three moments that's funny to me. There's a second point where he uh, he walks into the bar and uh, he's a little irritated because this is the point where he confronts Leo about, listen, man, me working for you brings a lot of heat down on me. If you look closely, there's like this, I think there's a, I think it's a Mexican dude. He's like dancing to the music and James Khan walks in and he, he tells the bartender, like, get this guy out of here. He's in my way. <laughs> and you can tell, the, you can, you can hear the bartender guy say to him, Hey, Jose, sit down, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> I love his facial expressions. And, um, one uh one thing is when he was in the adoption a- agency, like you said before he went on the rant, <laughs> the lady was asking him, "So where did you work?" Uh, you know, uh, Chicago Penitentiary. She says, "Oh, okay. Well, where did you work there?" Uh, I was in the shoe department. <laughs> oh, so so you ran the shoe department? Look, lady, I was a convict. All right. Yeah. Says, excuse me. <laughs> I like how he just. He thinks everything has a price and he thinks everything should be simple, but it's not it's not simple. Right. I especially like that because that same story is what gets uh, the one waitress to like start taking him seriously when he's like, I've been to jail, you know, and everything like that. Uh, I was a convict. Yeah. And he 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 goes in depth of what happened to him where he got to the point where he's like, at that point, I just looked at it as nothing matters to me. You know, I, I I was nothing but survival at that point from what he went through. It, it, it gave him a tough mental attitude and it led uh, it also leads to his friendship with uh, Willie Nelson, which he was great in this. I wanted to see more of him. Oh, yeah. As as o- Okla. Yeah. Like, I, yes. I really I really wish we could have seen seen more of Willie Nelson in this movie. But, you know, tragically, his character passed away. But um, I like his connection of him being like a father figure to him. And kind of being the guy that taught him thievery um, and how his time in prison kind of strengthened his mental attitude. Him trying to bury himself naked to um, uh, emotionally naked to uh, uh, man, what was this girl's name? It was Jesse. Jesse. Uh, yeah, Jesse. And it, uh, it kind of it kind of like uh, foretells the way he sets up the diner scene in Heat where De Niro and Pacino kind of bear themselves emotionally naked to each other. Uh, you know, cop and robber meeting each other on intelligent, on an emotional level. Uh, Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx meeting each other on an emotional level throughout Collateral. You could tell that's a recurring theme in Michael Mann's films. Yeah, and it's something that he does well when it comes to like breaking down a character and you know letting them be a person that's just kind of exposing themselves. Yeah, I like how. The final showdown. Well, before the final showdown, I like how the final betrayal was filmed. Like, I like how we got James Conn on the ground and we got a James Belushi's character, his dead body, like hanging from the thing. And he's like, you know, look, look at your friend. Look at him. And the, the camera's upside down because we're looking mm-hmm. at it from Frank's uh, point of view. It really makes Leo look menacing. Oh, and yeah. He says, he says, listen to me. You work for me. Your baby, your woman. Everything I can take from you like that. If I want you to do another job, you're going to do another job. 
uh, or you'll become like your friend pre- pretty much. Yeah. You now. work for me now, regardless of if you want it out. Cause he also like barely pays him for the one job as well. Like they mm-hmm. hadn't agreed on some money and he gives him like basically pennies compared to what he was owed and right. goes, well, don't worry. I invested that for you. Now, on to the next job. And he's like, no, that wasn't the deal. The deal was cash. You're going to give me this in cash. And he was like, yeah, but I changed that. So anyway, here's the next job. You're going mm-hmm. to do it. You don't have a choice. Right. We're, we're family here. I got right, you yeah. a baby. You know, we're family. Uh, and, you know, it's something you expect from a movie like this where, where the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the shoe drops from the other foot. Uh I got to think that's the same, but uh, you know this leads to the final showdown where I, I get it's convenient because it's the end of the movie. It's a little implausible, but you you kind of just roll with it. Uh, he kind of comes out like the Terminator, okay. and uh, you know terminates everybody. But it's it's a cool '80s uh, showdown. But um, I like how it goes through him. Just he he's moving on to his next life. He tells Jesse, "You got to go." You can't be with me. Um, he, he he tells him in his own. He tells her in his own way. Like he he pushes her away without telling her that. Listen, I love you and I love our baby, but you you can't be here. They're gonna kill you. Like yeah. you you need to get away from me. I don't want yeah, you the, anymore. I am danger. You know, here's some money. Take the kid. Go somewhere where I'll never be able to find you. I'm not gonna follow you. You'll never see me again. But there will be more money coming toward you to make sure that you can survive. Hmm. Yeah, so that happens. And I like how he just he's burning his past life. The house, the dealership, the, the bar. bar. Yeah, and I think there was one other place. But uh everywhere, everything that represented his life, he's burning down because he's moving on. He's he's learning how to make himself mentally tough again and move on to the next thing. And um I like how it leads to the final shootout. There's a moment where he comes in the house and uh he knocks out one guy. I like how he points the gun at one woman. Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> she just looks at him and then just looks back at what she was doing. Yeah, she was watching TV. So she kind of just looks over and then just goes back to watching the TV like nothing happened. Because he knocks the one guy out in the kitchen. And there's like that right. little divide between the uh, room she's in and the kitchen. So he's literally just staring her down and she just turns back to watching the TV, completely ignoring what he's doing. Right. And he goes like, all right, dude. He doesn't say that, but he just moves on. Yeah, he just, he continues on. It's it, She's not a target. He's after Leo. And I love when he has the little shootout with Leo and everything like that. Like that final shot takes him out and everything. And, you know, he's he has that moment of relief. And then he's leaving the house and Leo's men are out there waiting for him. Uh, I, I figured that this was going to be the end of him when it came to you know that final fight and everything like that like i i thought this was him going you know i i sent off the love of my wife and my kid to live a better life without me i burned down everything i have i'm ready to die at this moment and he has the shootout with the his men and everything like that and you think he's down for the count because he got shot at as well and everything. But then, you know, he gets up, he takes off a bulletproof vest and he kind of walks off and that's how the movie ends. And it's like, OK, that that was a little bit unexpected. I don't know if I like that more than if he that was his end or not, though. Like the bulletproof vest 
speaks to his character and it speaks to how he always had a way out. Like, right. even if like he talked in prison, like he says, like there were two outcomes. Uh, they could beat you senseless to the point where you go to the mental hospital or they could rape you, uh, which one you want to go. And he went to the point where he, he fought hard and he, he kind of go, he kind of gl- gl- glances over it. Like, you know, they did what they did to me. But, you know, the thing is, when I got out of recovery, I was mentally tough. I didn't care from that point. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he fights. So. Right. But I kind of saw this as his like way out was, you know, he did everything he needed to. He fought for the American dream. He couldn't get it. But, you know, he was willing to let go of everything in order to take out this one person and he accomplished that. So when he walks out, it's like, okay, this is it. He's going to take out his men. So the empire falls. And then when he dies, that that's his end. And then he took off the bulletproof vest and just walked off. And it was like, okay, I I don't know if I like that ending or not. That's, that's iffy for me. It's very 80s, somewhat happy ending ish. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, even if he died, I would have seen it as like a happy ending for him because he still got out, you know, and that was his goal. I don't know if that's still getting out. That's him. That's him being killed. But I understand what you're saying. Like he he tried and he failed. The the American dream wasn't for him, but he lives to fight another day. I suppose so. It's still iffy for me on if I like that ending or not, just because he did burn down everything he had before doing it. And he basically threw his previous life away. Like he was done with his life. Yeah, it wasn't a real um, it it wasn't the best ending point. But I feel like for what this film was, it it wasn't the best best point to end on. Um, Right. I'm not going to say that the ending like ruined the movie by any means. It's just one of those endings where it's like, I don't know if that's where I like it to end or if I would have preferred it to end the other way. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I, I look at it as, hey, I mean, where, how, I mean, you can either end it with him dying or him showing a bulletproof vest and walking away, you know, or it may be a, a, a epilogue with him in Hawaii or Cabo or something, but then that's stretching it too far in my right, mind. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I don't think it's nitpicking. Um, overall, man, I get us, I get us a 4.5. Uh, yeah, I agree. 4.5. The movie is paced well, it's got some great characters. A absolutely amazing cinematography as you mentioned the use of lighting and the use of like areas props the angles of the camera and everything so you see things from frank's perspective throughout the entire thing it's very well done and especially for a directorial debut this is a plus work it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah man well uh before we move on, I want to say goodbye to the great James Caan, man. You know, Godfather, uh, this film. Elf. <laughs> Mickey Blue Eyes, you know what I'm saying? Uh, the Gambler, Brian Song. Just all around terrific actor, man, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, he is definitely going to be missed. That's for sure. But his legacy will always live on in these amazing movies. Absolutely. Absolutely. He uh, he he's given great work. Um, and uh, oh, side note, dude, Ray, I mean, we I mean, we know by now, but Ray Liotta passed away. You really? Know, uh, yeah. You didn't notice? No. Yeah. Ray Liotta, Goodfellas uh, passed away, man. How long ago was that? 
wasn't that long ago. I don't want to say it was very recent, but this this uh this happened. And you know how they say people go in threes. Um, it was him, and it was also uh the man who played Paulie on Sopranos passed away. I remember that, really that one. Yeah. But wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. It, and uh, three of these guys are known for playing great roles in mob films, and uh, yeah, they 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 passed away around the same time. Wow. Yeah. But uh, I didn't know you didn't know about the Ray Liotta thing, man. No, I didn't. I I completely missed that one. Mm. Okay. It, wait, did it happen when I was at Star Wars? Because there was no news outside of Star Wars. <laughs> I think around that time it might have. I think, okay. it, I think it might have happened around that time. That that would explain Ma- why I didn't hear about it. Uh, May twenty sixth. Were you around Star yeah, Wars? Yeah, May twenty fifth was the start of Star Wars. So yeah, that's why I didn't hear about it. If it you wasn't Star Wars to- related, it didn't happen. <laughs> you were going to the world. It could be like <laughs> three more COVID variants out in the U.S. Like, uh, all right, so what's going on with this Ashika series? Yeah, you, you were just going to the world, weren't you? Oh, pretty much. It, I could have gotten back home. They couldn't be like, yeah, Detroit just burned down. What, it happened like three days ago. You didn't hear. And I'd be like, no, they didn't mention that at all during the Phantom Menace panel that I was at. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right, then. All right, man. You ready? Uh, move on to SLNV. Yes. So our next movie is uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape, uh, the directorial debut of Steven Sodenberg, uh, follows the story of Anne Mullaney, who is a woman that is married to a lawyer named John, and they live in uh, Baton Rouge, where they kind of have very simple life, nothing extreme, but she is very uh, against sex with him. She isn't a sexual person at all. She doesn't think about it. It's just not something that she cares for. And this bothers John, which causes him to have an affair with her sister, Anne, uh, in order... Or no, uh, Cynthia. 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 Uh, her, her sister, Cynthia. Uh, during this time, though... A buddy of John's, Graham, comes back to Baton Rouge in order to kind of close out some stuff in his life where he meets Anne and eventually, you know, find a new place for him. But in the meantime, starts living with them for a minute where they kind of converse and everything. Once he finds his own place, she learns that uh, he will videotape girls talking about their sexual desires and fantasies and this spooks her and that is basically the synopsis of this movie Mm -hmm. yeah so what i love about this film and it's probably like my I want to say second or third. I think this is my second time seeing this film. This is your first time as well? Uh, I've seen some parts of this film, but this is the first time watching the entirety of it. What I like about this film is that uh, this this is on the cusp of the 90s. So this is when uh, film got very experimental, especially independent film. Steven Mm -hmm. Soderbergh is like the leading man of contemporary independent film. Um, I like how the title, when you watch the film, it's really not what you think. But it, it, it's what it is. Sex, lies, and videotape. You expect, okay, this is going to be like another fatal attraction, another basic mm-hmm. instinct. But it's not that. There is sex involved, but it's not a 
sexual film. There are lies and there are videotape, but it's not a porno by right. no means. Yeah, These there's. Just I don't think there's any nudity in this movie at all. It's not. There really yeah. isn't. There's times where sex is implied that it's happening or that or, or we come in where it just happened or when it's just about to happen. But mm-hmm. there, there is no nudity in this. Yeah, there's and, a lot of talk of sex, but it, there's no nudity or anything actually shown in this movie. It's all kind of like a desire thing or an experience thing. Uh, because yeah. you have characters like Graham talking about how he's uh, impotent, where, you mm-hmm. know... Uh, this is the only way he can get off is literally listening to women talk about their sexual desires. Uh, you have, you know, Anne who has absolutely no sexual desires more or less, you know, she's actually disgusted by whenever John tries to initiate anything with her, uh, which is one of the reasons that he doesn't feel bad when he starts, uh, having an affair with Cynthia and everything, because he says, you know, and doesn't fulfill these needs. So, you know, she should as my wife. Thus, I don't have any, like, regrets for cheating on her. I, I love how his character is introduced, man. Like, he's introduced as the typical 90s douche. Yeah. I, I love the way Peter Gallagher plays it, man. Because um, he's he's literally trawling around his wedding ring. Like, it's just like a, a, like a lucky charm to bring single women mm-hmm. and he's on the phone with his man he says dude i'm telling you once you wear that wedding ring the the amount of uh of women that come towards you is critical i don't know if that's like a saying back then i never heard that before it's critical and uh like basically like saying today it's clutch yeah and you know it's like i'm like oh my goodness who is he married to and then you realize he's married to like this loving caring woman a nice housewife that, you know, she doesn't think too much about sex. Her intimacy is different. Her intimacy is being with her man and falling in love. It's not the physical. His is the physical. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing I love about James Spader's performance as Graham is because he's he's such an enigmatic guy that comes in and really disrupts everything. And he doesn't even try. He just, yeah, he, he's yeah. just kind of being himself. He's here to close out like some... Uh, you know, he, he kind of alludes that he has some things that he needs to close out in his life so he can keep moving on and everything. We find out that was a relationship that he had with another girl named Elizabeth that he broke up with or she broke up with him and everything. And it's kind of resulted in him not being able to get close to other people again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um. The thing I love about Graham and his, his whole role in all of this is that he's a character you really don't expect. Uh, you, you see him driving in the beginning and you see you wonder what he's going to be as, uh, you know, we listen to voiceovers of Peter Gallagher and uh, Annie McDowell when she's in therapy. You, and we wonder, like, OK, well, who is this guy? Who, who, who's this mysterious guy showing up? Um, and I like how that ties into Steven Sodenberg's other films. Like he this guy has such a prolific, subversive filmography like he he really is a surprising director because you really don't know what he's going to film next. He could do something mainstream, like out of sight, the Ocean's Eleven trilogy, then do something independent like Shay or uh, uh, Unsane, in which he shot with the iPhone or something Magic Mike, Contagion, these, these, uh, these, these multi-assemble films like Traffic, like... The thing, one thing you can't say about Steven Soderbergh is that he doesn't. You can't say he doesn't surprise you, right? He, he definitely likes creating director. these characters that are 
different. They're a little bit awkward. They're they don't have the same like personality traits that you would consider like to be normal or anything like that. Like with Graham, he likes videotaping women talking about their sexual desires, not, you know, going in depth with them or anything like that, but just kind of talking like, what was your first sexual experience like? What was, you know, what do you dream about? You know, what are your fantasies and everything? It's, you know, it's sexual, but it's not like he's doing anything weird with it. He's just kind of, he enjoys talking about that kind of stuff and videotaping it. Uh, it is revealed later that he uses it to pleasure himself and everything like that. But at the same time, he's such a weird character that by the time you reveal that you're just kind of like, well, yeah, that, that, that sounds about right for him. That's exactly what he would be doing. Yeah. Like, you know, and I like how he, he reveals parts of his personality and (laughs) how he feels about people through like, just like, lines of dialogue that shouldn't come off piercing because he he doesn't he's not saying it in that way but it's so piercing mm-hmm. like at one point uh he he says something uh like um there when this is what's funny the first night he spends at their house they're eating strawberries for dinner oh which yeah i thought was odd i know he brought her strawberries i'm like y'all y'all gonna eat that for dinner though <laughs> i thought that was odd but um i love how at one point um um and says something and he says, oh, I think liar, uh, Graham says, dude, I think liars are like the second worst beings on the planet. And I like how, uh, I don't know if it was John, but John said, what's the first, you know, lawyers. Yeah. And then John's a lawyer. John's a lawyer and he's obviously a liar. And uh, I like how like, like they, they couldn't be more different from when they were, in, were friends in college. Like it's kind of cemented in that moment. Like they're just different people. Yeah, there, there's uh, nothing similar about them anymore at all. And that's kind of that was toward the beginning of the movie where this is kind of done. And he's like, "Well, you can stay at my house and everything." He's like, "Yeah, for a little bit until I find my own place." And he does find his own place and everything very quickly. Right, and I like how the guy goes. Uh, he goes like, "We gotta find you a place." He goes, "I don't want another key." He says, "What?" So, oh yeah. yeah, I just I just got a key to my car. You know, if I get a key to a place, I got to have the key to my car and to my place. I got two keys. It's like, okay, we'll get rid of the car. I like driving. You know, like <laughs> you know, I like how he's such a he he he's a minimalist. Mm-hmm. I get, I think I think that's exactly what Graham is. He's a minimalist because like even when you go in his apartment, there's nothing but just drapes on the window. It's a very minimalist place. You got the camcorder. You got the tv and the different videotapes of the different women and all the broken chairs <laughs> broken chairs the iced tea once the iced tea runs out he's just giving people water yep you know he's a very like minimalist guy and um i like how there's one scene where ann says you know hey i'm in therapy and graham says that's interesting uh i don't think you should take advice from people that don't know you intimately and she's like what you mean intimately like sex he says well, yeah, that's what I mean, sex. Like, you shouldn't take advice from people who don't know you, uh, whoever has sex with you. It is just such an odd thing to say, but it's such a grand thing to say. Yeah, it, it his character is strangely, like, uh, he's awkward. He's He's an awkward person, and he really doesn't think about the things that he's saying before he says them. So he has these weird kind of mannerisms and everything like that that he has that just come out full force without him thinking. 
the thing I didn't like when I was first introduced to Cynthia, of course, we're kind of engineered to hate her because mm-hmm. she's sleeping with her wife's husband. Uh, we already we already don't like John. But the thing with Cynthia is when this film was going, I was really trying to figure her out. And it wasn't until she met up with Graham and tried to, you know, of course, sleep with him, but then realized it was a little bit different with Graham. Like, that's not Graham's type of intimacy. I was like, okay, I understand this woman now. She, she, she's basically a try hard. She fights so hard to be different from her sister. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a scene where uh, Anne is at Cynthia's house and, you know, Anne is outside in the living room area where it's, it's, there's light, you know, there's, there's white walls and there's light. And it's kind of like a light shining on Anne. Whereas Elizabeth is in the crazy bedroom with all the paintings and stuff, and it's it's chaotic. So you got you got chaos versus unbotheredness a little bit with 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 Anne. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I that's when I understood the differences, and I was like, okay, I understand Cynthia's character now. She's trying so hard to be unlike her perfect, seemingly perfect sister. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It it's definitely. Like she even makes one of the videos with Graham uh, talking about everything. And that's where she kind of reveals to Graham that uh, she's having the affair with John. And Graham says that he won't speak of anything to this to anybody. You know, it's the video is for him and him only. Nobody else will see it. Nobody else will know it. But I do love when she goes and she's talking with John goes, yeah, I made a tape with him. I told him everything. And he gets pissed at her for revealing their affair. <laughs> I love how disgusted he is. Like, how dare you do something so indecent? Right, yeah. She's like, you took a vow in front of God to <laughs> be faithful to a woman. You want to talk to me about indecency? You right. know what I mean? Like, I love that he's so pissed that she told somebody else about their affair. He's like, you are deplorable. It's like, you're literally having an affair with me on my sister you know like it's right yeah i absolutely love john is just literally such a terrible character uh even when eventually Anne goes over and creates a video with graham and everything like that uh when john finds out he's furious that there could have been something going on and that he literally goes over to Graham's house, like breaks into the house and everything, uh, kicks him out of the house and starts searching for the videotape with Anne and watching it. And it's such a good thing because it's one of the few moments that we get to see like Graham uh, put down his shield that he has and everything when he's talking with Anne because she flips a video camera onto him and he's very, you know, nervous about it and he doesn't like it and everything. But eventually he starts to open up a little bit and it leads to them kind of like laying on the couch together before Anne like turns off the camera. And then that's where the video ends. And it can be alluded exactly what happened after that. It can be alluded that they were intimate, that they had sex. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just love yeah, that's just that's a terrific moment. Like I don't want the thing I love about this film is that Sodenberg has his characters realized in everything, the pacing at which this moves and the beats that it hits uh character wise and plot wise, it, it it just it reaches a terrific uh crescendo moment at that at that point where she turns the camera on him. Now you're expecting that as a viewer, like, okay, some point the video is going to turn on Graham. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way it does it with ease and the way it plays out is just, 
it 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 it, it goes it goes so well. You know, it's not generic. It's it's just it's it's very it 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 plays out the way it's supposed to play out. Um, with no kind of like uh, it's not a forced moment. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's it's kind of it flows with their characters and everything. Where you know, Anne was very reluctant to do the video, and he she even pushes him to let her do a video because she's upset about finding out that. Uh, you know, her sister is having an affair with her husband and everything because she found what was it, an earring when she was vacuuming and it was one of her sister's yeah. earrings. So that's how she found out. Then she found out that Graham knew and didn't say anything. So she becomes like very insistent that, you know what? No, we make a video now. You know what? I have some stuff to get off my chest. Let's do this right now. And she's still in that kind of like power move kind of mode when she flips the camera on him and he like has no response to it at first besides like, I don't, I don't want to do this. No, come on, let's do this. We're going to do this. You, you talk now, you know, you're always behind the camera. Now you go in front of the camera and yeah. Yeah. He goes like, I I don't like the whole, uh, turn the tables thing. Yeah. I, I, um, and I love how she straight up like, uh, I, I love how she's real with him and says like, Listen, man, you've been hung up on this girl for so long and you want to show up here and, and try to prove to her that you've changed and you're not a liar anymore. What do you think she's going to think about these videotapes? Like, like, do you really think you've changed? Do you really think this is healthy for you to try to do all this just to get your girl back? I, and, and I like how he's really confronted with that and he doesn't really know what well, he knows. He, he, he responds, but he doesn't know how to respond to that. Right. Like, it's a very tough question for him. Yeah, and even after, you know, all that's done, like, John's watching the video, he, like, walks out of the house, you know, you have Graham sitting on the front porch, and John's words to him, the most douchey thing possible still, manages to, like, even at his moment where you're like, oh, this could be a turning point for him, it's like, no, no, he's just going full in on douche mode and goes, you know, Elizabeth, yeah, I slept with her when we were together, when you were together with her. And not only that, she was the craziest one in bed that I've ever been with. And then he walks off. He says, that's all I can say about her. Yeah, that's all I can say about her. Yeah, that's such that's such a raw scene, man. Uh, And you're like, yeah, you you, you feel real bad with him saying that uh, to Graham. Yeah. Uh, But the thing is, as much as he chastises Graham, him seeing him get that close to his wife on, on videotape and not knowing what happened next chastises john as as well well not only that but he she reveals like that she doesn't like being sexual with him and she thinks about other men and stuff like that so basically it brings him down a peg because he sees himself as this like macho man and everything like that but then he realized his wife doesn't even like him in that way and everything you know, so he wants himself to be desired, which is why he does the things that he does. But then he realizes the one person that he like vowed to love in this world doesn't want him in that way. And that's like a big critical hit to his ego. You know, it is. It is. I love how everyone. Um, well, I already said the characters here are realized. But uh, the the one thing I like about Graham is that. He always leaves his door open. Oh yeah, like, he never locks his door. Like every anyone that knocks and knocks on his door, he goes, hey, "Just come in, like, mm-hmm. come in." And uh, I like when he first encounters Cynthia. He's not even kind of like a he. He is kind of like a who are you, but it's kind of like he's interested. 
Yeah, you know, it, like, it, somebody new is in my house now. What what are you here for? What's this? And I love so James Spader. Uh, I absolutely love James Spader. He's probably one of my favorite kind oh, of like terrific. actors that's out there. That's like so iconic in this movie, though. He doesn't have like the same Spader mannerisms that everybody's kind of used to. It's like still early in his career and everything. But when those Spader like isms kind of show it, it's full force in this movie. And I absolutely love it. And that's one of those scenes where it's and who are you? And why are you here? And it, the tone in his voice and everything—it's like, oh, that's that's the James Spader I know and love right there in that scene. <laughs> you know what I love that that brought me full circle, man. Um, I love how his his character is impotent, and I love how it. Uh, I, I think I think the office gave a shout out to that moment, like when uh when Andy is revealed that he's he's be, he's being impotent with Aaron mm-hmm. and like there's like a whole thing going on and James Spader's his character in the office is just sitting there giddy like let's yes let's hear more about the uh the impotence of of Andy yeah and it's like <laughs> it's so ironic because this is like his this was his breakout role this movie yeah and I was like oh man I feel like that was a shout out from the office in that moment when oh they, yeah, they, they were talking about with that. how many like little slide jokes and nods to like everybody's previous careers from that show and everything, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, that that was kind of a nod to this, and yeah, that that's great. Uh, yeah, it's James Spader is absolutely phenomenal in this. Uh, Peter Gallagher is great in this. You know, Andy Everybody. McDowell. It, Everybody fulfills the role that they were meant to be in this movie. A little funny, uh, uh, a funny uh, tip point. Um, Stephen Brill, uh, the guy who directed a few, um, I want to say a few Adam Sandler films, Wedding Singer, Mr. Deeds. Oh, wait, did he? Hold up. I know he directed a fam. No, he directed Little Nicky and Mr. Deeds. Yeah. Okay. Um, he's the guy that's in the uh, in the bar that's always flirting with the women is he the one that's flirting with cynthia and like trying to get her number and everything at the end right right oh i didn't catch that the same guy a a bar fly basically what you call him and uh i like how when we first see him you know she's giving him his drink and uh she's kind of like just listening to him ramble trying to listen to him flirt and then she walks away he goes like yeah i think some space between us would do good yeah He has great little one-liners in the movie that kind of just break up what's going on a little bit. Um, Yeah, he he played that role perfectly. Uh, Especially, I love it at the end when, you know, she gives him the plant. And he goes, oh, is that a da-da-da kind of plant? Really nice. It looks nice and everything. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there's the callback. He goes, uh, it looks like a tablecloth. Yeah. (laughs) Like he was calling back to when she brought the dress in for their mother. In uh, Cynthia's like that looks like a tablecloth. She he bring she brings in the plan. He says, "Oh, it looks like a tablecloth." Yeah. <laughs> I, I I thought he was funny, but here's the thing: where Sodenberg shines, he says he 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 tries to get his actors in a space where when they when they're in their zone and they can do their thing, he steps aside as a director and just films. And you, you see that strongly here where you, he's letting these actors play with these characters and they they shine at their greatest when they're in their most intimate moments mm-hmm. uh, as characters. And it, it, it makes for a well-paced character drama. And 
I'm not going to say because it went against do the right thing. I'm not going to say it, it deserves the Palm Dior because do the right thing was amazing. But I understand why it was even in the running and why it won. Uh, now, I understand why James Spader won Best Actor that year, too, at the Kings Film Festival. Oh, yeah. He, he was great in this. Uh, but, you know, this there's a reason why this film put Steven Soderbergh where he was. as like kind of like the forefront of the main of the independent of the independent film movement uh, coming coming to the come coming to the mainstream a little bit, or at least being considered. Uh, uh, how do I put this? Uh, he he he's responsible a little bit for bringing the independent to the mainstream. Right. Where before, if you were like an independent filmmaker and everything like that, your buddies would see it. You would play it in the theater in your hometown, maybe, and that was about it. He kind of started bringing it to a more nationwide level this brought forth uh the the rise of reservoir dogs clerks uh bottle rocket you know what i mean like he 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 brought forth that like you know well he he was one of the i'm not gonna say he brought it forth but he became one of the original figures of that great independent cinematic movement you know what i mean he was one of the founders of it to put there you go yeah there you go uh yeah man i when i really think about it uh there's no frills here. There's no frills here. And I'm a little hesitant to give it the straight up five, but I think I'm gonna give it a five. Like there's, there's nothing wrong here. Uh, you know what? I, I'm thinking the same thing, but it's still, I think it's a 4.5 for me still, but yeah, I can't really think of anything. That's not, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's, you know, great acting, great storytelling, great characters. Everything's perfect here, but I, I'm thinking on it. It's like it, it's not a five movie. It, it's a four point five. Very strong four point five, though. It's very far, it's very strong four point. It, it's a little bit like over it. a four point five, but I don't think it's at a five yet. I'm like at a four point seven kind of uh, because it's like I'm not gonna say it's perfect, but it's perfectly made. Yeah, four point seven two five three. You know that's that's the yeah. score I think. <laughs> There you go. There you go. I, it, it's it's a very strongly made movie. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it asserts Sodenberg's voice very early on. Like he made this at 26, man. Mm-hmm. Right. To be 26 and make something like this that's so like defined as a drama is impressive. It's oh, impressive. yeah. Um, yeah, man. So that's where I'm at with it. I'd say SLV wins over Thief. Um. Oh, that's a tricky one. I mean, if we're gonna go by the science, it's it's a bit. They're both great movies. They Don't are both wrong. great movies. This, this is a hard one to be like, which one's a better movie? And it's like, mmm. So this is how I look at it. When I look at it from the way it begins to the way it ends, character, Thief has like great character, great beginning. The ending, like we said, was a little little shaky, mm-hmm. but the ending of SLV fits. That's true. It just the, fits. the ending of, you know, Sex Lies videotape, it, it just it, it nails it absolutely. Uh yeah. I, I think Sex Lies videotape wins this one for me. Yeah, I think for that one tidbit it it, it wins out slightly. Yeah. Uh all right, man. So let's move on. What's uh you gotta tell me about Thor? How how was it? Yeah, so without getting into uh, spoiler territory on this one, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder, 
I enjoyed it. I actually really liked it compared to like what I've seen a lot of people say about it. Uh, a lot of people said that, you know, the jokes kind of undercut it a lot and everything like that, which I kind of agree in some scenes, the jokes undercut, you know, some of like the tension, everything that's building. But uh, mm-hmm. Gore was an amazing villain, you know, uh, knocked that one out of the park, I think. Uh, I love Thor kind of his growing into being somebody new. Uh, having Jane Foster come back as, you know, the mighty Thor. Great move. Absolutely loved it. Uh, there, there's a, so much to love about this movie, but there were some things that kind of held it back a little bit uh, in terms of, like, its plot and its writing probably could have used a second draft, I think. But the oh, acting man. was all on point. The characters were on point. I do love it. Uh I gotta say, though, this is one of the first, like, Marvel movies where the end credits scene, where, you know, normally the end credits scene kind of, like, hypes you up and goes, you know, here's what to look forward to next time. Uh, This one, I I get where a lot of people would get Uh excited, but for me, I just went, Uh oh, "Oh, yeah, okay, that's that's a thing. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. So we're starting to see the beginning of the end? Um, I don't think so. I think it's just this is one of those scenes where they like put it out there and I was just like, oh, okay, I guess that's that's a thing. Uh, I'm seeing myself get less and less excited about the end credit scenes because they seem to all just be going, yeah, and then you won't see anything come from this for the next like five years. And it's like, well, why am I getting excited for it now? I just, dude, I just I go back to that one joke I said. It's an existentialist life for a Marvel superhero. Yeah. They're like, uh, you know, Doctor Strange is like, I'm going to live my life normal now. And, uh, you know, then the third eye popped out. And then uh, Charlie Stan was like, you ready to keep her? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you know, like just, it, it never ends. You, yeah. This is your life. Yeah, no uh, matter what, it's... But before, when it came, like, to the end credit scenes, they'd always, like, be teasing the next movie. So, in, you know, for example, like, this one should have been teasing something that's coming in, like, Black Panther 2, because that's coming in a couple months. Instead, it's, like, teasing it something insane. that's, you know, going to be coming and isn't announced at, you know, the time of showing and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, come on, just just tease what's coming next so I know there, you know? Yeah, man, I mean, I... I <laughs> I know you like it because you like the character that he's playing, but that's how I felt about the Harry Styles scene. I'm like, okay, what, why should I care about this character? I don't know who this is, you know. Right, but, uh, and that's happening a lot more now too. It's not like the tease at like the end of uh, you know Captain America: Civil War, which teased the Black Panther movie, or the mm-hmm. tease at the end of like Iron Man, where it. Uh, tease like the Avengers initiative and stuff like that like it's now teasing things that aren't going to come into focus for the next like five years or something like that like we had the uh, swordsman scene at the end of Eternals and it's like okay well it, now I, what I, you know well I like that because that introduced Blade it did you heard Blade's voice but at the same time like, Blade's oh. still not coming for another like two years at least and that I movie came out last year <laughs> I know it, it does come off kind of like, all right, well, I guess I got to wait five, like you said, five years. Yeah, it, It's now like a five year wait after these like end credit stings 
Um, the uh, second end credit sting, I'm kind of glad that they didn't go with a comedy route with it, though. And it was this nice little cherry on top of the movie. I was like, oh, that was nice. Okay. So do you feel like it's kind of a point where it's like you're seeing Marvel is seeing too much forest for the trees and I, it's a little too much build up? I, yeah, I think at this point they like realize that they're building up an entire universe now. It's not just a movie thing now because now they have mm-hmm. the TV shows. They have the movies. They have the little mini specials because we have Werewolf by Night. I'm very excited for that one. But at the same time, we're getting that. We're getting like the Guardians holiday special. Uh, you have more intertwined because you had the Guardians of the Galaxy in this movie. You're going to probably have somebody show up in you know the next movie. Uh, I'm trying to remember what the last one was that had come out recently i'm thinking eternals black widow there was another one though Eternals, black widow uh spider-man so I, so I, had dr strange appear in it dr strange had scarlet witch in and stuff that's so it, it, we're getting more of like these mixed movies where you have different you know people from the different movies popping into them so you're building this bigger world and everything which means you need more Mm. characters which i think they're just on this weird renaissance where they're like we got to introduce all of the characters so we can use them at any point in time and have them ready to go it's like a factory pretty much yeah uh yeah i mean i don't know man i I really just uh i'm just ready for that bp too uh, I, I, I'm just ready for that Black Panther 2, man. Uh, I can point, say man. I'm wholly excited for it, too, especially if they bring in more as the villain. I, I really hope that that ends up being true. Who's the villain, would you say? Uh, Namor. He's the uh, king of Atlantis. Think of him as okay. Aquaman for Marvel. You know who I would want them to bring? The guy who... Um, uh, the guy who Black Panther uh, went against in the comics, the, the comics that was written by Christopher Priest, it was the guy who uh, I think his name was Mephisto. If I'm oh not, Mephisto, I'm not the devil. Yeah, no, 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 not him, not him. I, I got the wrong one. Um, it is the other guy. It was the guy that's uh, he's very cunning and uh, he likes to uh, he likes to trip Black Panther up. You know, he he uh, he he's run like a political campaign against Black Panther in Wakanda. Um... I know who I'm talking about, but I, I just I want to I'm trying to I'm drawing a blank this. on it based on that description. I know there's somebody that's listening to this and going, how do you not know that? Per-? But I'm drawing a blank because Mephisto is one of the characters that's in that arc. But it's I'm not talking about him. I'm okay. talking about somebody else. All right. I, it'll, it'll come to me. I, yeah. I'll think about it. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I, I just I'm just I want to see. I want to see how um, how Sherry's going to do Left Behind with, you know, um, of course, Chadwick Boseman being, uh, you know, uh, deceased. Uh, I want to see how Ryan Coogler, you know, amazes us with the second one. I- I'm just really excited for Black Panther, too. That's really all I really it, care about. Same. I it, Black Panther is one of those ones where they can have a lot more fun with it because they have futuristic technology. They basically have uh, the one property that can do anything that Marvel wants. It's almost like Pym Particles, which is why like the Ant-Man movies are so much fun because they get to go into insane places with them. And Black Panther 
did some crazy stuff and I loved it. But then it started like trying to ground itself and it was like, no, 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 stop trying to touch your feet on the ground. Just fly. You, you literally have the technology in this world to fly. Now go for it, go to the moon. I want to see you guys go absolutely crazy with this and have some fun with it. You know, when it comes to Wakanda, that's one of the things that makes a comic so fun for it is it's like this sci-fi African, you know, city. Akibi, uh, Akibi. Akibi. That's who I want to see Black Panther go off against. Uh, Akibi's awesome, man. I don't uh, recognize that one. Yeah, he has like this big flashing smile. Uh, he, he's he's a great villain. I like Akibi. Uh, oh, I yep, I remember him now. Yeah. I just pulled up a picture of him, and immediately I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that guy." Yeah, he uh, I, I would like to see them go head to head. But uh, yeah, I'm excited for that one, man. You know, the Marvels. I like Brie Larson. Uh, I, I like the I like the woman uh, who I like Tiana Paris, who plays. Uh, is it Monica Rambo? Uh, yeah, Monica. Yeah, I haven't seen Miss Marvel yet, but uh, that might be cool. You know, but I, again, it's BP, too. That's really what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Black Panther and then uh, Guardians. Th- those are the ones that I- I'm excited oh, for. Blade. I want to see what I want to see. More. We're still like a year or two years out from that one. I know, but I'm just I'm just talking about the Marvel films I'm looking forward to. Oh, like, yeah. I want to see what Maharshala does with Blade. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. Uh, yeah, man. Other than that, man, um, I've uh, I've gotten back into a Netflix series that I, I, I watched a long time ago, but I never really finished. Uh, it's a German language series called Dark. Man, that is a great show, dude. I know you've probably seen advertisement for it, but uh, it's like a German science fiction series. And it's about um, it's about time travel. It's about generational trauma. It's about the decisions we make. It's about fate kind of too. Um, great, great show, man. Great show. It is dark, but it's, it's, it's great darkness, man. Like it, okay. it's a very, it's a very well-made show. I'm going to have to check it out. Three seasons. Um, yeah, it looks like it started in 2017. It did. It did. Uh, last two seasons are like eight episodes each. First season is 10 episodes. Uh, very well done show, man. If you want to watch it dubbed or if you want to watch it subbed, I'm a subbed guy. Um, I probably watch it subbed because especially for live action, watching it with a dub, it just looks weird when people it are talking. It, it takes me out of it. I I have a hard time with it. You're watching. It's like watching the old Bruce Lee movies where. Right. You know, yeah. The words come out before the uh, the, the, the the lip syncing, you know, like it, it's off. Uh, but I but some people just really just don't like subtitles like my wife. So I understand. But uh, yeah, very well done show, man. Okay. And uh, you know what's coming back next week? Uh, Better Call Saul. Yes, sir. I know it's it's. I want to say tomorrow. As of recording this, it comes out tomorrow. It didn't take that long. I know this. This was a nice little like four break. week break. That that's all it was. Because when you hear break, you go, "All right, this counts as a season." 
So they're probably going like wait a whole year. Yeah, but it's like it, it didn't take that long. Yeah, because um, I we talked about I can't remember if we talked about it on podcast or off podcast. But you were like, what do you what the hell is this? We got to take a break after just this. And it was like, it, it's only four weeks, man. It's it's going to be fine. You're like four weeks. That's not even a break. It was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know, man, because I, I listen, dude, I, I get very disillusioned with where network television is, where it's like uh Dude, the the Walking Dead's final season is broke up in three sections. I'm like, really? Come on, man. Like, is that really needed? Like, you know, just just end the show. They're they're like, really trying to milk that one. They don't want to let that one go. <laughs> and um, with Stranger Things, I get it because that's like a lot of that's a lot of running time with that show. I mm. understand that. You know, they're they're this season. The Stranger Things season finale is like I think three hours, man. Or yeah, two we and a half talked hours. about it. It's like two hours or something. It's insane. I understand the break with that. That's like a movie. But with with Walking Dead, I'm like, dude, you don't need a break between these episodes, man. Just end the show. Uh, so I, I got a little, I got a little irritated. Like, oh, man, they're gonna do the same thing with BCS. But then you were like, no, Anthony, it's not that long of a break. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to catch that one though, because especially with that cliffhanger they ended on, it's just, mm, oh, this is gonna be great. My mom and I go back and forth for what's gonna happen between Saul and the uh, and the Starker dude. Um, oh, uh, in the Gene timeline. Yeah. Do people call it that, or do you just call it that? No, that's what his name is in that. So it that's no, how I, people call it. Oh, okay. I didn't. I didn't notice that. I mean, yeah, I know, that's I how people like differentiate. It's the uh, there's the Jimmy timeline, which is everything before you know he becomes Saul Goodman. There's the Saul time, and then there's the Gene time, uh, because in the kind of uh, advertisements and everything for the show, they mm-hmm. differentiate the parts of his life with the suits and everything. And they've been using that as like a huge tease for each season and everything like that of like a new coach shows up on the hangar to insinuate this is a new part of Saul's life with the last coat on the hangar being the black and or the gray one that uh, is like the black and white jean. I didn't notice that. I didn't notice that. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. You know, uh, my mom and I, we we talk uh, because, you know, we're 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 breaking bad fans mm-hmm. so you know we we've been watching the show and we've been talking about how it's going to end and stuff like that and discussing it um i'm really interested to see what happens in the gene timeline they didn't touch on it at all in in, in the first half season and i was surprised uh, no because we got the start off with them like clearing out his house and everything yeah yeah uh we know walter and jesse are going to show up it's all a matter of when i'm yeah. A lot of people are expecting that to be a huge scene. I'm kind of almost expecting it to be like a very nonchalant, like five minutes of an episode. Yeah, it's going to be not even like with them as the focus. They're just going to be in a scene like in the background or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe, maybe if I know Vince, if I know Vince Gilligan and his team and Peter Gold, it's going to be significant. It may be short, but it's going to be significant. If it's not that, it's going to end up being like a flashback scene or yeah, I guess it would be. technically be a flash forward scene of him talking with them kind of to push something into like the gene timeline because I don't see them actually going into uh breaking bad with like them walking into his office and stuff like that. What I see is there could be a scene like a, 
it could it could tie into a moment it could tie into a decision saw makes in the episode and it could be like a moment of when saw was working with uh walter and jesse that ties into the decision that that uh speaks to a decision he makes a, a critical decision he makes in the episode to come like you know how they do the cold opens yeah it could be like the moment in uh el camino where jesse has the flashback of him and walter at the diner and walter kind of looks off at the rv like you got your whole life ahead of you, Jesse. You can still discover what you want to be. And, you know, it, it, it speaks to Walter like, you know, he's late in his game and he's just now finding what he wants to do, which is cook meth. Right. You know, because his whole life has been wasted. That could speak to that. As much as that spoke to Jesse's journey on trying to start a new life, he there, there could be a flashback scene that speaks to to Saul making a critical decision in the episode. You get, you get what I'm saying. Right? I get what you're saying with it. Yeah. It's it. I'm very interested to see how they play with it. If they play with it as kind of like a background nod to them, or if they play with it as like a pivotal moment for the character in some way. Yeah. I mean, whatever happens, we know they're going to show up. I mean, the the, the creators have teased it. Uh, It's like when Toby, we knew Toby and Andrew were going to show up in Spider-Man. It's all a matter of how. Yeah. Well, with that one, the, the creators were kind of like denying it. And even like Toby and Andrew were kind of uh, denying that they were in the movie and everything. With this one, they're just going, yeah, we're there. And well, do you have more to say? No, no, we're there, though. You know, it's basically them getting ahead of leaks because now anybody can leak it. And it'd be like, well, we have no way of confirming if that's true or not. The only because they already said that they're in it, so there goes the credibility of somebody leaking that they're in it. Mm-hmm. So they they actually yeah. played it very smart. I blame this on the Sopranos, man, because <laughs> uh, the way that show ended and the way everybody was like really trying to figure out how it was going to go and stuff like that 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 led to the whole uh, I don't want to say FOMO, but it led to the whole anticipation of like, okay, how's this series going to end? Mm-hmm. How are they gonna bring in Walter and Jesse? What let's find out what happens to uh to Lola or or uh but it's Lolo or is it Lola? Uh Lalo. Lalo. You literally took the letters and put them in the wrong order like five different oh, times. Wow. <laughs> let's figure out what's gonna happen to Lalo before we get to the episode. We do live in that kind of generation. Um I don't like that, man. Because so I'm gonna say this. Uh I still haven't caught up to the boys. I plan to, trust me, I plan to. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't go out trying to figure out what happened after hero gasm or where season three ended. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't actively search for that. I, uh, I just go about my business and when I watch it, then I look up with other people, how other people responded to certain things. There are just people who just need to know, I need to know how this is going to happen. And I'm like, I don't, I want to be surprised. Well, luckily for those people, there's this thing called the comic book series that they can pick up at any store right now. You could find it on Amazon if you're afraid to leave the house. You go to your local comic book store and support a local business, and you can find out all those answers very quickly. (laughs) Haven't they deviated from the comics, though? Um... A little bit from what I heard. I haven't seen the new season yet, so I'm not entirely sure, but they, they've they kind of gone a little bit off, but at the same time, they're keeping like the same feel as the comics. Gotcha. So I have a hard time believing they're going to like, if the comics are turning left, the show is going to make a hard right when it comes to where they're going in the end. Okay. Yeah, I, um, well, you know, Better Call Saul doesn't have a comic book, so that's a little differently. 
Yeah, there's nothing. There's no content for people to go. Well, hold on. In this issue of Comic Seventy Four, you know, this is what happens, and I think that's where they're leading to. Right. All right. Uh, one more thing. One more thing. Uh, any upcoming movies? I know uh, we got two more weeks for Nope. Uh, what do you think about that Where the Crawdads Sing movie? You think you're going to go see that? Um, I was thinking about it. I saw a couple screening opportunities pop up for that one that mm-hmm. just were all timed at poor times where I couldn't make it. Because uh, I probably would have gone to one of those just because eh, it, it seems interesting. I know there's mm-hmm. a lot of controversy around the book and everything, but I can't remember why there's controversy around the book. It's controversy. I thought it was like a bestseller. It, there's some kind of controversy about the book that I was reading on. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's a thing. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those iffy movies. I'll check it out, but I don't know if I'll see it in theaters or not. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I might check it out. I mean, if, if, if there's solid reviews, I, I'll, I'll probably, I'll probably catch it. Um, Oh, did I tell you I saw Minions, The Rise of Gru? You said you were going to go see it. Did you enjoy it? Not a good introduction for me to the uh, whole uh, Gru-verse, man. No. Not a good introduction <laughs> to me. I, 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 there were some good jokes, but it was more of a... It was more of their movie. You, you didn't like the little yellow Tic Tacs running around screaming banana all the time? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. I... <laughs> I was in that movie and I was, listen, I was trying to give myself over to the good time. I really was. Mm-hmm. I was tapping into my inner kid, but it just, it, it didn't, it didn't sell it for me, man. No. I was like, this, this movie is kind of stupid, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, like I just, I rolled with it. You know, my wife wanted to see it. Our friends wanted to see it. So I, I was, I was a good sport, but it wasn't a, it wasn't really for me. Just wait until you see it the second time, man. You'll be like moving and grooving like the Bob's Burgers movie. <laughs> I, I am interested in seeing Despicable Me, though. I feel like I like it. It gave me a nice flashback to what, how Gru became Gru. But mm. I, I uh, yeah, I didn't really gain a more of a uh, affinity <laughs> for the minions. You, you didn't walk out of it and go, oh, my God, we need to see that again right now. You know, and you ran to Walmart and you picked up a Minions costume. You got some of the goggles and everything. And you were just like, this is my life now. I understand why the kids love them. Uh, not for me, man. Not for me. <laughs> I, had to, I had to watch a whole movie about that. man. And I was like, you, you didn't need to give these things their own movie. Oh, trust me. Uh, you, you. Well, I can't say I haven't seen this one yet, but I did see the Minions movie, and uh, if, if it's anything of the same, it's 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 bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just okay to me, man. It was just all right. But uh, all right, well, that's it for me, man. Uh, you got anything else? Um, only thing that I can think is uh, make sure to comment on the video, like, share, and subscribe, and tell us what you liked more. Uh, did you enjoy Thief? Did you love, uh, you know, Sex, Lies, and Videotape more? Uh, who's the better actor, James Spader or Michael Can? Um, if you put anything James besides Can. Michael Can <laughs> or James Can, sorry, if you put anything besides James Can in the comments, uh, you're a terrible person, um, you know. <laughs> And let's just go from there. Who's the better director is the real question. Michael Mann or Steven Soderbergh, who had more of a a great debut? Um, I would argue Michael Mann. I I would 
Sodenberg, from a writing standpoint, had more of an effect. But from a directing standpoint, I'd say, man. Um, Michael Mann definitely has more style to his directing. Right. Uh, Sodenberg definitely has the writing down. You know, yeah. like you could watch a movie and be able to go, oh, that was a Michael Mann movie. Uh, mm-hmm. If you put this movie and then something else in front of me and went, hey, which one was the uh, Steven Sodenberg movie? I just go, okay, probably the less stylized one. Yeah, I mean, like Steven Sodenberg, you know, he's a he's a very diverse filmmaker. He has multiple styles. But uh, I love how this late in the game would like like, share and subscribe. I, I hope if you made it to this point, you're liking and sharing this and subscribing. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's all I got to say. Uh, been another great episode of DFV. Uh, like, share, subscribe, and uh, take care. <laughs>